0: and welcome to the Graduate Teacher Learning Series podcast channel. I'm Ben and I will be hosting this episode in the podcast series. In this podcast series, we are going to look at how the resources within the Victorian teaching and learning model are being used within different Victorian school contexts the victorian teaching and learning model or vtlm is made up of resources that as a teacher you can use to develop implement and monitor learning programs tailored to your students needs in this series we will be talking about the high impact teaching strategies or hits the practice principles and the pedagogical model teachers can use the vtlm to establish enhance or modify pedagogical practice to promote excellence and consistency in teaching and learning across the school. Okay, so sit back and relax, and let's get into this edition of the Graduate Teacher Learning Series podcast, Talking to an Expert. Hi, and thanks for being part of this podcast. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about where you are working and your history in education?
1: My name's Nicole Edwards and I'm the principal at Sunshine Special Developmental School, which is a great privilege. I've actually been in special schools my whole teaching career. This is my passion and it's what I've wanted to do since I was 16. Uh, So for 23 years I've been within specialist settings. Um, Our school here has been part of the education uh, system for 32 years and we are in a mainstream school environment but we have 170 students, uh, 90 staff. We're in the facilities of a mainstream school but we're a specialist setting. So um, we have two base rooms, one at Ardia Primary School, one at Sunshine Heights Primary School and we cater to students with a moderate to profound intellectual disability.
0: 16 is quite young to know that you wanted to work in a specialist school. What prompted you for this career choice?
1: Uh, I guess I was at that, that point in high school where you had to go out and do work experience um, and I made a decision that I wanted to go to Ascot Vale Special School and... I worked with one particular student who... That was my role, was basically to support one particular student who had uh, autism spectrum disorder. And I just found over a two-week period that I was able to achieve so much with him. And whilst it challenged me, which I quite enjoyed, um, it was absolutely rewarding. Um, And I actually had the amazing privilege of coming full circle about three years ago. I went to their fate and he was that adult. Um, And I actually went up to his mother and said your son is exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I had a really profound moment as a 16-year-old, which I know is quite unique, and that's exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So when I went to university, we didn't have the option then to actually have a placement in a special school. Um, I did challenge my, my college on that, and they weren't quite flexible with allowing me to do that, so I then went on and did my fourth year in special ed straight away, and then I've, I worked as an ES in, in a school whilst I did that fourth year, and then now here I am.
0: Tell us how you have used the Victorian teacher learning model as a whole school planning tool, specifically in relation to your annual implementation
1: plan. I think we are in a really exciting... Um, place in education at the moment, particularly in special education. So having travelled the journey for 23 years, um, whilst we acutely care for our students and we always have, we are absolutely places of learning. And so we have, and I always have, had very high expectations as a teacher of my learners, um, regardless of their individual needs. And now as a system, it's exciting that special education is actually part of um, the education stage and it's part of the VTLM. So we now have a curriculum. We're on the curriculum before um, the Victorian curriculum and towards level one we actually weren't so we were just expected to teach to the curriculum of the day which did not encompass the individual learning needs of particularly our cohort in a special developmental school. So I find this absolutely exciting. Um, It provides evidence based practice to which we can connect our teachers to best practice. Teaching is teaching, good teaching is good teaching regardless of whatever setting that you're working in. Um, Obviously All of our learners, 170 of them, have extremely individual needs. But I would say that that's not unique to just our setting. All schools have unique learners. um, And our job as leaders and teachers is to be the best that we can for them every day. So the VTLM now provides this scaffold, this suite of resources, um, evidence-based practice that we can really, as a leader, strategically align our professional learning to, our AIP, strategic plan, our resourcing... Um, So it's been a key driver in actually establishing everything that we do here, from, you know, the minute we walk into the school in the morning to when we leave in the afternoon and even on the holidays, Um, just aligning the work and making the connections, which in special education particularly is absolutely exciting. This is really interesting because FISO obviously um, has been um, available to us for longer than all of the elements of the VTLM. So what I found particularly exciting and useful last year was with all of the resources available to us and at our fingertips in the um, Principal Forum in Term 4, uh, last year we actually did a mapping activity where we had all of the VTML resources out. We came pre-prepared with one of our AIP goals, which ours was around literacy. And we then looked at each of the tools and mapped what practice principles are actually going to be required to get us... Um, achieving our AIP goal and targets. What hits do we need to focus on? What part of the pedagogical model are we implementing? You know, at which level are we engaging with that as well? So our AIP this year is a two-page document. It's narrow and focused. Um, Obviously, we have a very detailed AIP on spot, but for staff, what we've developed is a two-page AIP, and on that AIP is actually the hits, the practice principles and the pedagogical model and the elements of those that are specific to achieving our AIP targets and that then, as I talked about before, making the connections and the alignment to everything that we do within the school, resourcing, professional learning, um, PDPs, all aligns to those elements, which is really exciting.
0: As a leader in a school, with your leadership team, how do you support staff with their classroom practice to implement the VTLM?
1: So, at the start of the year, all of our teachers receive a professional practice manual. In that manual, we have our vision and values, we have our strategic plan, our AIP, we have the HITS um, Continua. We also have all of the key documents that have been released by the department. That also, um, prior to them coming back to school, they have documentation that has clear um, direction around all of our curriculum, teaching and learning um, process and cycle for the whole year. We also then distribute a professional learning calendar, which connects directly to our AIP and they have the whole term in advance and they can see um, the work and how it aligns to to our AIP. So that's one element. It's mapping, term by term, our professional learning and making sure that all of the elements that we've identified in our AIP for the VTLM are covered within our um, professional learning calendar. So that's one layer. It's very strategic. And we also do a whole year overview as a leadership team the year before based on our AIP. So our 2019 uh, PL calendar for the whole year was developed in term 4 2018, once we'd developed our AIP. And then we review it every term. Have we hit the mark? Is our data telling us that the staff are achieving where we thought they would around that? If not, do we need to, to spend a little bit longer on that element? Do we need to push forward and move on to the next thing because we've nailed that? So that's a very dynamic space. Um, so that's one element. The other layer is a professional practice um, goal setting, we call it, on a Monday. So we've resourced that, um, which is an extra specialist, for teachers every term to have protected time with their leading teachers What they do within that time, this sits alongside their PDP. So the PDP is quite general and aligned to the AIP. And then each teacher has the the opportunity to sit with their leading teacher, do a self-assessment against the VTLM, as well as our AIP and our instructional model, and identify their area of growth. They then plan that. So they talk about, do I need to do some peer observation? Would that happen in my school or do I need to go external to my school? Do I need to attend professional learning external to the school? Do I, would I benefit from coaching? So they identify the strategies with which they're going to build that identified practice. So that's our professional practice model. Um, we then, this term, have implemented a coaching model. So all teachers are coached on a five-week cycle. Um, in Term 3. Next year it'll be Term 2 and Term 3. So coaching sits alongside that with a focus on our instructional model which includes VTLM components. Um, We also have our professional learning teams. Now, they are key drivers to the professional growth of teachers. Um, Included in that is assessments against the PLC matrix and HITS. Um, We do that online and we get information around how... um, ..which informs... The work that we've done and the resourcing and strategy around growth, are teachers saying that what we're putting in place is helping them? Are they moving through the emerging, evolving, embedding, excelling um, matrices in the way that we'd like them to? And if not, what's blocking that? And that's how we actually identified that we needed to introduce peer observation and coaching, because we just kept getting stuck. And when we looked at what would move us to the next level, it was those elements. So that then informed our structures for the next year. What evidence do you now have that teaching practice has improved in your school? So, this year we introduced instructional rounds, which was a new concept for our staff. Um, I think important to say, too, that as a leader, and we might get to this a little bit later, that um, how do we get people to engage with these new resources and these strategies and tools? And part of that is around, you know, listening and engaging your staff, knowing your staff, um, and making things really relevant to them. So in my experience as a teacher, always coming from the fact that I am a teacher, although I sit in the principal role, I'm a teacher at heart, um, what would be useful to me and things that I can take straight into my classroom and impact on my actual teaching and students is what's, what's profoundly important to me as a teacher. So we introduced instructional rounds. The staff were involved in looking at the matrices. So we actually um, developed a matrix around learning intentions and success criteria because we had a lot of staff saying setting goals um, in the hits was part of what they were wanting to focus on. So, predominantly we looked at classroom environment and learning intentions and success criteria. And we actually took the focus away from the practice. We just wanted to see that they were up, that they were relevant, that they were in student-friendly language. All of the things that we had ascertained um, were highly effective practice around setting goals and that we weren't at this point looking at how is the teacher articulating it, are the students, um, do they have access to it and what does that look like? So, we did that as a leadership team in term one put my hand up for our community of practice as a network for this term, uh, last term, sorry, term two, where we've now got three schools coming out, teachers, um, principals and APs from other schools coming out and going through our classrooms and actually looking at the practice. So what that showed us was a growth already between term one and term two with this structured approach. We're coming in to have a look at your environment and how these things are being communicated to students and now we're actually coming in and having a look at how you're articulating them, are you revisiting them, are you doing some reflection with the students around them and we're getting external people's opinion and perception around that. So that's been really important information for us and the staff have embraced it. We've also got things that we do within our PLT which is self-assessment for teachers around um, the HITS. So they do in Term 2 and Term 4, they will actually self-assess as a PLT and moderate around where they sit think they're sitting on the matrix um, and provide evidence as to why I'm saying that. So I think I'm here, but this is why. Um, so that's that's data as well. Our student data is challenging within specialist settings. So we don't do NAPLAN within a special developmental school. Some other specialist settings, um, you know, do have students that can sit standardised tests. We don't. So student data is always... a. Uh, Uh, challenging space for us, but we do do ABLES. We have a Victorian Curriculum Assessment Tool and we have a reading assessment and many other forms of assessment that we use. Measuring student outcomes for us sits mainly around teacher judgement and we do that through using the abilities-based learning and education support platform that the department also um, offer us and what that does is show um, the teachers sit through a series of questions and they moderate that together and that's been a profoundly important part to getting consistent teacher judgment. So within PLTs, they moderate um, their ABLES assessments as well as the Victorian Curriculum assessments and all other assessments that we do because we need to make sure that we're getting consistent... ...judgment across the school, because this also informs our individual learning plan goals. So then what we do is we actually track um, growth within level, across level and across multiple levels... ...as well as a decline in growth, because we have many, many students now... ...with an enrolment of complex physical and medical needs that might have long periods of absenteeism. So there are some um, competing factors in terms of of student growth... ...and what what can assist that and also hinder that. Uh, So... We take all of that into account, but what we do is then map that onto a spreadsheet so we can see that X amount of percentage of students have had growth within level, which is really important for us, um, because some of our students might sit within level for quite a number of years before they move on to, say, from A to level B. But it's important to celebrate the growth within level, because that's growth. So we're quite creative around it. We are, um, at the moment, working on a data wall, which is exciting. So the staff are talking, we've got a a trial one up in our PLT room at the moment, and the staff are working with whether that's, you know, how that can be really useful and a dynamic space for them to be um, developing their SMART goals and inquiries in their PLTs. Um, So that's fairly new in a specialist setting, or certainly this school as well, a data wall, so that's exciting. Um, It is a challenge, but it's something that we continually push the envelope on, and we expect student growth.
0: you're a leader in a special development school have you had to make any adaptations to the vtlm to suit your school's context
1: there is no need to adapt the victorian teaching and learning model to our context we struggle around some of the particularly around the hits say metacognitive strategies that's something that requires a lot of unpacking with staff and a lot of work and thinking around what does that look like for our students we've got um, around 90 percent of my students are functionally non-verbal So, we have one-to-one iPad with Proloquo2Go and we have students also using pod um, and high-contrast pod. So, communication is a huge area of focus in our school. And so, therefore, what does student reflection and feedback look like when 90% of the students are functionally nonverbal? How do we understand thinking around our students and their metacognitive uh, strategies that that we're developing and the students might be using when 90% of our students are functionally nonverbal? So, there's certainly... Areas that um, we need to be really creative with how we actually generate um, those ideas with our students, how we support them around that. It certainly doesn't mean that we don't we say they're uh, irrelevant, because we understand that all the, the evidence base, everything is relevant. It's about how are we creatively applying those strategies within our context for each individual student. So that takes time, and it takes unpacking, and it takes professional learning and support. And I think with that acknowledgement as a leader that you know this is non-negotiable this is effective practice and we do do this and we it's not irrelevant to us but how do I support them and provide the structures and resourcing in order for the staff to feel like we can do this so
0: can you tell me what do you think the qualities of a great teacher are
1: Oh, I think that's that's a really good question. Um, The qualities of a good teacher are, first and foremost, the capacity to build relationships with students, uh, particularly in our context. So, relationships are so, so profoundly important. Knowledge of the students and how they learn, absolutely important. Um, Collaboration. In the climate that we're in now, when I was a, a graduate teacher, we didn't have PLTs. We were in our classrooms. We didn't, I didn't have a mentor. It was fend for yourself. We're now in a culture where collaboration is, um, is profoundly important and it's so, so valuable. So the capacity to, um, to understand that we don't know everything And the benefit of working with others means that we can just keep enriching our practice. And that if we learn things that challenge what we're currently doing, it's not that we weren't doing the best that we could or the right thing. It was just that we know differently now. So I think that growth mindset, um, a passion for your own learning, to support the learning of your students, relationships. Um, I think for for new teachers or for any teacher, that element of organisation and time management is really, really important. Being able to ask for help if you need it, and that's okay. Um, Just being able to refine your craft and I think being open to what the system has to offer and the school that you're working in has to support you with is, I I think, one of the the greatest strengths.
0: What are those particular qualities that are needed by a teacher to work in a special development
1: school? So to work in a specialist setting, I think you need to love a challenge and when I say challenge, I mean being able to be so versatile in your practice and it doesn't mean that you have to be an experienced teacher, but you have to be very open to having a plan And having that plan change relatively quickly and being able to adapt and be flexible around that, always with a focus on learning. I think you need to be open-minded. You need to have that absolute focus on individual student learning. Um, I think that you you need a passion for uh, working with individual student strengths and being able to be strengths-focused so all students in our school can learn. You need to absolutely have that that belief, that fundamental belief. So I think a lot of being um, successful in a special school is having that belief. Having resilience, and I think this speaks to any any school really, having resilience because sometimes, particularly as a new teacher, you're very clear about what you want to achieve in the day and sometimes, you know, you deviate from that and that's okay. Um, But I think definitely resilience, knowing that all students can learn, understanding that you are one of the most important people in that child's educational journey and that every day you have to be your best. Um, And that what that looks like within our context is vastly different, but you're not immune from high expectations, you're not immune from evidence-based practice, you're not immune from the Victorian teaching and learning model. All of those things are relevant. It's just how you differentiate those.
0: What advice would you give to a graduate teacher about looking for employment in a specialist setting?
1: What I would say to a graduate teacher looking for employment in a specialist setting is maybe go out and, and have a look at the school um, before you consider um, working in a specialist setting. Make sure it's the right fit for you and it's OK if it's not. So I'll often say that when if we're recruiting, um, we'll do a tour and I'll say to people, it's OK if this is not the right fit for you. So get a little bit of an understanding of what... Um, The differences between mainstream and specialist education. uh, Then I would say you're really well supported. Um, So we have an amazing team, we have the capacity to resource. Unlike our mainstream colleagues, which is, you know, I know challenging for them, but we have a, an allied health team. We have three speech pathologists. We have um, two occupational therapists. We have a physiotherapist. We have our leadership team are all out of the classroom. We have a coaching model. We have our learning specialists in place. We have a really extensive induction program. So in terms of the way we support all staff, um, this isn't isolated to graduates, I think we um, we do that really, really well. Uh, I think there's an absolute joy in working in special education and um, diversifying your skill set to quite specific um, learning needs of students, I think that also gives you a really good um, breadth in your toolkit. So even if it's just not a lifelong decision like mine, um, it might be that you just want to give this a go, I would say don't be scared. Um, Ask questions. So if you're interested in it, ring up a school and ask about, Talk to me about what's the difference. Uh, I actually support ANZ UK and we, we run through uh, each term for the last three terms. I've done a PD for them with all of their CRTs, just talking about what is the basics in special education needs, just, just to try and get a breadth of of staff wanting to give um, themselves the opportunity to, to experience special education because sometimes the hesitation is the not knowing. So pick up the phone, ask your local school, um, special school, what they're all about, go in and have a look and, um, and really give it a go.
0: What do you think makes a great leader in an educational setting?
1: I think the qualities of a great leader in an education setting um, fundamentally are about relationships and part of that is about empathy. Uh, I think as a leader it's really important to remember that uh, you were a teacher and you worked in classrooms and in my experience I've been an education support worker as well Um, and to always lead from that place of of students first um, and then what does this mean for my classrooms and for my teachers? So I never wanted to be a principal or an assistant principal. I always wanted to be in a classroom and now here I am and I will often say to my staff, you know, the whole school is my classroom. This is how I reconcile not being in the classroom, I guess. If I can work and build the capacity of of my workforce to impact on 170 students, then that's an amazing thing. And how do I go about that? And what are the skills that I think are important in that is relationships, knowing your staff, what their needs are, how they best receive feedback and have being able to be an instructional leader and engage in the teaching and learning conversations with your staff. So be in PLTs, visit classrooms, um, be the person that they pick up the phone to and say, come down to my lesson now, this is happening, can you help me out or come and see this, it's amazing. Be accessible, be visible, know your community, have amazing partnerships with your parents, have amazing partnerships with your students. Be on the ground, you know, yes... There's, you have to be on the balcony that's part of leadership but you also have to be on the dance floor um, and you have to be moving with your staff and hearing and, and feeling and experiencing what they're experiencing and being know- knowing when to take your foot off the pedal and and really dig de- deeply on something um, and then move on from that so being um, understanding of where everyone in your community is at um, emotional intelligence is highly highly important And self-management, highly, highly important. And for some people that comes really naturally and for others that's a skill that they need to develop and you can develop and learn those things. Um, So having good coaching and mentoring around you, having people that can support your leadership journey is important. Um, But I think those two elements, working in such a dynamic, big community, are fundamentally important in special education, in my context with 90 staff, but in any context um, as a leader.
0: If you could go back in time, what do you tell the 16-year-old work experience version of yourself?
1: So if principal me was to talk to 16-year-old me, this is what I would say. These are my reflections. You've picked the right path. This is... You're going to love every minute of this. Um, And I'll often say to staff, I never have a bad day. And they'll say what do you mean by that? You know, how is that possible? And I say, there are moments that challenge me. Um, But in those moments is growth, whether it was in the classroom or whether it was in in my principal role now. Um, And those moments never, ever supersede the day to me. What I would say to myself is, clarity brings the most amount of, um, I guess, confidence. And your beliefs and your values aligned with clarity as a leader just open up, Um, I think, such creativity and flexibility in the way you go about what you do. Um, I would say to myself, wow, I never would have thought you would be here and here I am. I would say it is the greatest gift but it's also a big responsibility Um, and the commitment to the community uh, is first and foremost, you know, my priority and that drives, you know, what I know is is best for our students in terms of um, their right to high expectations and high quality teaching and learning absolutely drives everything that i do and the culture and climate that you set as a leader um is so so important and there, are things you know at 16 years of age i i just thought oh wow i feel good about this and this is what i want to do for the rest of my life and now you know i wouldn't have ever thought this is where i'd be sitting but it's the greatest gift and it's the greatest joy
0: Can you talk about the importance of involving staff in conversations around FISO, or the Framework to Improve Student Outcomes, and the entire VTLM, creating perspective and empowerment in your teaching team?
1: So, one of the key uh, drivers of the VTLM and also um, the education state is the Framework for Improving Student Outcomes, FISO. Um, What has become profoundly evident to me in my role as acting principal for 15 months and now substantive principal for, um, for just on 12 months is sometimes staff miss the connections. So as leaders, how are we actually enabling our staff to connect to the bigger picture? How are we empowering them to take ownership over that? and understand the decisions that we make as leaders because sometimes I think they just decisions appear and staff do things but they're not actually sure about the alignment. And so with the inter- introduction of, of FISO and the VTLM, what we've used that to do is actually create those connections. So starting from our AIP, having those three elements explicit in our AIP about the things we're working on and then we map that to a FISO board in our staff room so that staff see that our professional learning aligns to the goals that are evidenced in our AIP and our strategic plan. And we actually get to put a dot up. So, at the end of every presentation, we take our dot and we say, you know, it depends on who's presenting it. It could be today's presentation was brought to you by Positive Climate for Learning, and we put the spot up. Or it could be, you know, this explicitly links to this goal. This is about our GVC, and we pop the spot up. So, we're we're creating an evidence, a body of evidence as we go, and we're explicitly saying to staff us standing in front of you or this consultant standing in front of you is strategic and directly connected to our school goals because they are the drivers. Our strategic plan and our AIP are the drivers. And I think for too long in schools they've sat on a shelf and they haven't been um, used or connected, been connected to the work of, of staff. So we have this through line now from our PDPs, our AIP, our Strap plan, AIP, PDPs, there's a through line and we now make that visible in all that we do with staff. We then have started to engage the staff in our self-assessment against the FISO Continua, and this is about empowering them, giving them the knowledge um, that what is that... You know, how do we assess ourselves against that? What tells us that we're a highly effective school or not? Um, so they've, they've actually worked across a number of sessions looking at the Continua, and that has been so enlightening for the staff it's been, they've been so engaged the richness of the communications and the conversations around it's been amazing we've had the question asked about who normally does this, is this a leadership job because this is you know, this is a big task but wow, so they've actually done the assessment of the of the continuum Pfizer, the Pfizer Continua um, and that's another connection another point of connection, it's them owning then what we say in our review that we're good at and where we need to improve. So empowerment of staff is profoundly important. Bringing the, the documents into their, the goal-setting conversations, having the documents available in their PLTs. How are we constantly referencing, making connections to that? The booklet, the professional practice manual they all got on day one, they bring that to staff meetings so we can say, in that in this booklet, we're referring to page what have you. Um, empowering them to take ownership over the direction of the school and their contribution to it. And that has been a significant change that we've been able to implement so that all staff can talk about what our AIP is. They know what the goals are. They could prattle off half a dozen um, strategies that we've implemented because it's on our board. We've even had staff saying, where's the dot for this session? So there's an investment there, which is fantastic. So empowering staff is so important. And as leaders, that's our job to, to identify how we're going to best do that.
0: And that's it for the graduate teacher learning series podcast thank you to our guests for sharing their experiences and thank you for listening we'll see you next time bye for now